Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. So, uh, welcome everybody to this edition of the FAPS Talks podcast uh, ahead this time of COP26, which is about to happen in a couple of days. And I'm very honored and glad to have with us here uh, Samantha Smith today from the Just Transition Center of the International Trade Union Confederation to talk about some of the upcoming issues that uh, at COP and about the, the Just Transition and the climate transition more generally. I'm Andreas Dimmelmeyer from the FAPS, the Foundation for European progressive studies, being the climate policy analyst there. And now I'd like to already address my first question to Samantha, which is basically just to get us started here. So with COP basically two days away, what are your kind of main expectations or the main priorities that you look forward to seeing there and want to be addressed? Thanks. First of all, thanks so much for inviting me to, to have this conversation and uh, appreciate the chance to say more about what trade unions are looking for at the COP, but also so specifically what we're looking for around just transition. I mean, the big picture of this COP is that it's happening in the middle of a pandemic. There are lots of people who should be in the negotiations, but who can't be because they're from developing countries and the requirements for getting vaccinated and getting into the UK are too much for a lot of people. And then it's also, what should I say? The organization has been a bit so on the one hand, We know that uh, global emissions after a short pause during the pandemic are now rising again as a lot of economies reopen, rising actually quite a lot in some places. So we know it's even more urgent than ever to do something about climate change. And at the same time, a lot of people lost their jobs during the pandemic, including people working in the energy sector. They're back to work or many of them are back to work. Many others, hundreds of millions are still without work. And so, you know, now would be a, a bad time to throw people out of work, whether because of climate action or for any other reason. So it's a pretty difficult moment. And we are concerned that the commitments that governments are coming to the COP with are not going to be enough now to meet this moment. So I think that's the framing. We had hoped to see many more governments pitch up with just transition plans that they had negotiated with trade unions and uh, with employers and their associations. We're only seeing some of that. Um, we see a lot of governments talking about just transition, but in fact, what they're basically doing is shutting stuff down, not talking to trade unions and not creating new jobs. And so we, and we're also not seeing the investment that's going to be needed to have massive job creation, not only low emissions jobs, but also jobs to replace all the jobs that disappeared during the pandemic. So we're... I won't say we're getting ready to be disappointed. I would say that we know there's going to be a lot to do also after this COP. Thanks a lot for, for painting this picture, I mean, which looks a little bit gloomy, both from the, say, uh, emission side, but also importantly, from the, the social side and the, the reactions that we have been seeing in the pandemic, but also more generally. What would be sort of on, on a more positive note, what would be kind of your idea or your recommendation of how can we get to there that we have really good transition plans in place? And can you give us an example of what a good transition plan looks like and how, and it's, as well as its implementation? Uh, sure. I mean, I think if we shift our attention a little bit away from the formal negotiations 
And we look at what's happening on the ground, which is more where we're working is the Just Transition Center as part of the International Trade Union Confederation. Um, then the picture does look a little bit brighter, right? So for example, in South Africa, there is a process that the trade unions collectively bargained for um, under a presidential commission to try to come up with a just transition plan for the country and maybe especially for its power and mining sectors. And parts of that are going to get rolled at the COP, rolled out at the COP, I think. But I think the most important thing is that the South African approach so far is really true to what's been, you know, to the UN definition of just transition, which has been negotiated in the international labor organization between unions, employers, and governments, right? So we have this UN definition. It's based on social dialogue, which all your listeners will be familiar to, at least if they're familiar with, at least if they're in Europe. And South Africa is following that approach, both on the process and outcomes, focusing on good new jobs, poverty eradication, and so on. So that's positive. Um, I think in the United States, it seems as if Congress and the White House are, are or are about to agree on big spending package, maybe not as big and ambitious on the social side as many of us had hoped, but it will have uh, really a lot in there to both to accelerate climate action, but also, and maybe especially to create a lot of good jobs in things like you know, low emissions auto manufacturing and lowering emissions in the power sector and so on. So also really positive. Um, in the EU, as you know, the one of the pillars of the Green Deal is just transition. And although the, which I say, the, the thinking around it and the language is great, the implementation is maybe not as good on the ground uh, in some countries. Nonetheless, we are seeing social dialogue in some countries, very strong social dialogue at the national level, and really a focus again on getting plans with unions that create good jobs and lift up regions. And you had asked for a good example of just transition. I would just say that uh, right here in Europe, we have Germany and Spain and the plans that they have developed with labor to um, transform the energy sector, to phase out coal and bring in renewables and so on. So, you know, the German plan seems like it might get accelerated now, but that that is a really good plan with all the elements that we as trade unions would look for. And the same thing with the Spanish plan, you know, which is even more comprehensive, looking at other sectors of the economy as well as energy. Okay, thanks a lot. Do you see actually between the different just transition plans, do you see that there is learning? So if you say in the EU, we're not yet there, can we learn something from the more successful ones or the, that are already ongoing as in South Africa, as you mentioned, or is this very much still a, a siloed thinking? Um, not at all siloed. It's actually um, my personal job and the job of the Just Transition Center to make sure that the trade union movement, which is an international movement, right? We're organized internationally um, as national federations and the sectors, and we work with each other a lot. And part of what we do is that we bring together unions from different countries, um, either at the national level or with our comrades at the global union federations on the sector level, so that we can learn from each other, but also so we can have collective strategies 
towards governments and especially multinational enterprises. So there's really a lot of learning. I was in uh, labor convening this morning with the Presidential Commission on Climate Change in South Africa, where that was one of the things we discussed was, you know, especially South-South learning between, for example, the unions in South Africa and Indonesia and Brazil and India. We're also working with them. Like, what can we all learn from each other about how to get a good deal for our members and workers who should be our members, also informal workers in this process of energy transition. Yeah, there's a lot of learning and it's not one way. Uh, For example, South Africa has great um, social dialogue institutions and actually still pretty good union density and union strength. Um, so there's a lot that we can learn from that process and vice versa. Uh, it's very uh, interesting and very good to hear that you actually provide those channels to to um, to talk to each other. One thing that is also, I think, an, an interesting development that some argue that can actually derail the current, well, the, the ambition that is needed for climate change is that we see sort of a, in various commodities markets uh, a big price increase, especially in energy, both in in Europe, but I also know from some friends in, in, in South America that it's the gas price and so on pretty much also risen three to four folds. Is this something that a just transition can address to also have the sort of affordability perspective in there? Is this something where you can share thinking of how to, to square the circle there to get on with the energy transition, but also maintain the the dignity and the fact that people can afford a decent life? No, it's a really good question. And it's something that is keeping me and lots of other people up at night, just uh, for exactly the reason you mentioned that, you know, the enormous rise in energy, both electricity, but now also in uh, petrol prices, this is something that really hits poor and working class household. And that's also our concern as trade unionists, that we're trying to Uh, contribute to better lives for poor and working class people. Um, And as you said, it's not just a European issue, right? So we were talking to our comrades in the Brazilian union movement, and Brazil is also facing this big energy crisis, big rise in electricity prices because a drought, probably not unrelated to climate change, has taken out a part of Brazil's hydropower production. So, which in turn means that the power sector is fuel switching to fossil fuels, which are more expensive, so that you get this kind of cascading effect. I think a just transition, so the concept of just transition as negotiated in the UN through the International Labor Organization, one of the, it has an explicit goal of eradicating poverty, and it has some specific guidance on making sure that any increases in energy prices actually don't affect uh, poor. There are specific policy measures to shelter poor and working class households from those price rises. So from our perspective, Just Transition is exactly the framework we need to um, also to address this particular situation. And I guess, and we will also, by the way, be launching something at the COP on these issues together with some partners. So keep your eyes out for that. I can't say a lot more because we have to save it for the lunch. But um, I guess the, you know, in the short term, you have to make sure that, for example, in Europe, people aren't freezing to death in their homes this winter because they can't afford to pay the power bill and eat and pay rent. That's one, right? Like that's 
got to be the first priority. And that's a responsibility of governments. Um, it's also a responsibility of energy companies. Two is that uh, what we see in this crisis is that we need, we meaning again, governments, investors, employers, other capital owners need to invest much more and much more quickly in clean, secure energy systems. And I'm saying energy systems because obviously it's not just generation capacity you need, but you also need storage, you need adequate grids, you need to think through how what sort of the, the maximum amount of demand that you will have in these systems and so on. Three, it is also important to accelerate efforts to create good new jobs in through these investments. So instead of investing and doing sort of least cost global procurement, good new jobs need to come out of this. Why? Because right now, if you've gotten your job back in, let's say, coal or natural gas or oil, um, if you lost your job during the pandemic and now your job is back and prices are going through the roof, there's no end to demand, it's going to be pretty hard to convince you as a worker that you should lose that job with no new job in sight, right? So it's even more important to put a big emphasis on a big surge of investment to decarbonize, bring down emissions in energy, but also to make sure that energy workers have jobs of equivalent quality to go to. And one thing that I perhaps already then to, uh, to slowly get to the close, but one thing that you mentioned, of course, here is the need for investment. And then I wanted to kind of ask you to elaborate a little bit more where this investment should be coming from and how it should look like in the sense of the background that we now have supposedly a couple of, I think, 34 trillions or something like that committed to sustainable investment from the private sector. But of course, there's a lot of greenwashing. Also, we have now some stimulus packages um, from in terms of public investment to counter the, the effects of the pandemic. So I wanted to ask you, how do you see the role of investment? What kind of investment is this? Should this be something that the public sector does because we're having public goods here? Should be, is there a room for the private sector? To what extent is there? How do you see those kind of blended finance things that move in the, in the space between the two? For a just transition really to materialize, who do you think is the, who will mobilize this investment and how should it yeah. work? Well, so in order to have adequate public sector investment, you have to start with fair tax. And so the, you know, this new initiative, right? I mean, can't sort of be shy about this. We have to name the thing that needs to be named in, in a time of growing inequality and some people getting extremely wealthy. So this, you know, initiative to have where there's agreement now to have a, a minimum corporate tax, for example, minimum global corporate tax, that is a good start. But more broadly, so it has to be state action, state investment based on fair tax. But obviously, there is a role for uh, for private finance, um, including workers' capital. Just remember that for our pensions, we have trillions in pension funds around the world. And our pension funds are increasingly moving towards dedicating a part of their um, capital into sustain so-called sustainable investments, low emissions, good for workers and so on. But at any rate, there is a room for there is a room for other kinds of capital in the energy value chain. 
Like not everything is about, you know, splitting up and privatizing utilities and feasting off the parts. There is a lot of manufacturing. There's a lot of transmission. There's a lot of aftermarket stuff where the private sector can come in and play an important role. And in addition, you know, we have in a lot of countries, you have a system where you have state financing and state regulation of generation, but you have the private sector, some of which is actually state-owned enterprises gone multinational, coming in and building stuff. And they're sure, like, why not? But you can't make windfall profits off of something that is providing a basic public service, which is energy, right? So people should be moderating their profit expectations in this situation. Yeah, no, thanks a lot for the elaboration. Also, perhaps uh, for the listeners, On the issue of tax, uh, I might do a little bit of self-promotion for FEPS here, where we published recently a paper on global tax reform, as well as a paper on a on a wealth tax, also on the European level. But as you said, this is really a crucial thing that it's not really an elephant in the room also in terms of, okay, what is tax? Is labor tax or is capital and, and energy tax? Uh, that, that should be really part of our conversation. I mean, As we come to the end, perhaps my, my last question would be really, what is your, your key message or key narrative to get out there in the context of COP, but also more general? Um, <laughs> I guess the key, the key message is that uh, a just transition is worth fighting for because we, you're not just fighting for the, the rights and, and the wages and benefits of specific workers in a transition, although we are fighting for that but also for this broader change in society so, th so that we actually make progress on eradicating poverty, having gender equality. Uh, we haven't even talked about the care, you know, care jobs, the need to finance those, um, and the need for those to be good jobs. I guess the other message I have is that as someone who's been working for five years on just transition with unions around the world, It works and it is a process that ensures that working people get a good deal out of this transition as opposed to just losing their jobs and getting benefits if they're lucky. So we should keep pushing no matter what happens at the COP. Okay, now that's good, uh, hopeful words and that also illustrate really the, the amount of the challenge, but then again also that it can be done still, even though we have, are in a kind of situation where things sometimes might look a little bit dire. Okay, in this case, uh, I would uh, thank you very much again for participating in this FEPS Talks. Um, if you want to disseminate this as a listener, there is the hashtag also FEPS Talks to kind of get people, more people to uh, listen to this and other of our recordings. There's a library of, I think, uh, over 100 of podcasts uh, by now. And this being said, um, all the best to you, Samantha. Thanks a lot for joining. And perhaps see you at COP as well. Maybe somebody from FEPS will also be there, but uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Thanks. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you very much, Andreas. Appreciate it. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPS Talks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.